Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in History, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Yana Byers, your host, and I'm here today with journalist Gadi Magark to talk about her new book, Heavens and Earth, The Story of Astrology Through Ages and Cultures, out with Penguin Books in 2022. Hello, Gadi Welcome to the program. Hi, Yana. Thank you for having me here. Oh, thanks so much. It's a really nice. How are you this morning? I'm very good. How are you? Really well. I'm over here in Amsterdam, and you are in Delhi? Yeah, New Delhi. New Delhi, how's, uh, what's, what's, uh, what's your season? It's winter, so uh, we get quite cold winters in Delhi. Uh, but yeah. today, today is very nice, actually. It's quite sunny out there, so oh, we've had a bit of a light up. Good, that's nice. It's getting, uh, this winter business is getting old. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, this, ne- this, but this never gets old to me, this thing of speaking to people from all over about their books. It's really exciting. So uh, let's just get right into it. How did you come to write a book about astrology? Right. Um, So I did my master's uh, degree in the U.S. I graduated in 2016 and I studied journalism. So, you know, I was connected to, you know, a lot of journalists uh, on my social media and stuff. So since then, I've been very clued into the American news and the American trends, you know, pop culture trends. And I think around 2019, I started noticing that astrology was really popular in places like, you know, New York, San Francisco, um, Los Angeles. And I mean, you know, there were like New Yorker was writing about it. Guardian was writing about it. There were these apps like CoStar, which was a really cool and, you know, like a really hip kind of an app. And uh, there were these podcasts, the astrology podcast, you know, YouTube channels. Um, there were these articles in Vogue, Cosmopolitan, you know, about Mercury retrograde and Saturn return. And so to me, you know, having grown up in India, astrology has a very religious and very orthodox context. And it's something, you know, we tend to associate with, you know, middle age religious men and you know they'll say like these super um orthodox kind of things so what i was seeing of astrology was very you know hip intellectual smart very millennial like so there was this new age millennial vibe to it so to me that was a very interesting paradox very interesting contrast and that mm-hmm. interested me as a journalist as well as as an indian so i uh, i did a story about it it was published in jan 2020 so i didn't plan to write a book at that that point I mean I was like you know I've done my story and that's it but then the pandemic happened and I had nothing to do so I I mean I don't know out of nowhere I kind of got the idea so okay I'll you know work on a book and this was the most recent story that I'd done so I just started you know looking more into it because I was already fascinated by it so I I saw that there was a lot more to it you know a lot more to the story and um so I worked on a pitch. Luckily, it, you know, it was interesting to, you know, my agent, my editor, and that's just how it happened. And so, I mean, that was the trigger to it. But then for me, there was also this personal angle because um, I've always been very interested in the idea of fate. 
fate, destiny, karma. So like in India, mm-hmm. we have the, you know, a theory of karma. And for me personally, you know, my life has been very much, I would say, made and unmade by fate. So for me, uh, I mean, until then, I had tried to understand the nature of life, you know, so to speak, uh, through things like philosophy, psychology, mythology. And then when I came across astrology, it seemed like a combination of all those things and, you know, like a really good way to understand the idea of fate. So, um, so I mean, the, it's it was... Uh, you know, relevant for me both personally and professionally. So, I mean, that's how it happened. Yeah, okay. That makes perfect sense. I mean, it is, um, it's astounding how popular astrology is right now. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's everywhere. Um, And, you know, but as you know, it's not just about astrology. It's not just the stars. It's not just like being able to say I'm a cancer, which I am, by the way. Um, That's my sun sign. (laughs) Oh, cool. Totally. All right, then. Um, but it's about, it's about those larger questions. You know, it's, it's, it's about questions of fate, karma, the, the nature of life itself is how you close your author's note. And so that's really what we're looking at, right? Astrology is a path to sorting those out. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, so that's a thing, right? So in India, you know, when you look at astrology, people, I mean, people think of India as this really spiritual, religious country. But if you look at how astrologists practice, it's very materialistic almost, you know, because people want to know, um, you know, when will I get that job? When will I, you know, have more money? When will I get married? And in U.S., which uh, we see more of, you know, as a more consumerist, materialistic society, people were using it for self-discovery. So, I mean, I thought there was this paradox. And the more I looked into it, the more it seemed like, you know, both of these uh, uh, countries, both of these regions, East versus versus West in the modern uh, scenario, were missing out on a lot of context to, you know, this um, idea of fate or, you know, like, what are we here for or, you know, what is the purpose of our life? So, I mean, I thought that was a really interesting thing to talk about, especially today, you know, in the modern civilization where, you know, we are trying to pare everything down to an algorithm, right, pare everything down to technology, and we're becoming very much in the head, and we're losing, you know, like, you know, mind-body connection, or we're, you know, losing the connection to our souls, and we're losing, you know, that connection to the spiritual side of life, that um, emotional side of the life, because we want to make everything um, industrial, you know, like, logical or rational, or, you know, like, um, something that can work on an algorithmic basis. So, I mean, it seemed like a good time to, you know, write the book. And even what we saw with the pandemic, like it happened out of nowhere, right? No one expected something like that to happen. And everyone was logged into, you know, their home. Um, I mean, people suffered so much. A lot of people, you know, um, passed away. A lot of people had a lot of economic loss. Um, all sorts of things happened and nobody, nobody saw it coming. So, I mean, we have to understand that there is that element of chance, there is that element of fate, uh, randomness to life, and we would do well to remember it, especially in, like, today's time. Yeah, absolutely. We love to believe that we're completely in control of our world, and we are absolutely not. Things just happen. Uh, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a really important kind of reminder. But we need to make sense of that. That's really hard to live with, right? This, um, the idea that... In the end, all of my planning could just be laid waste, you know, by a pandemic or 
or, or whatever, you know. Um, and this is, you, um, you open your book with a few stories, you know, fables that explore this question that are understood in the ancient world. The tales of interrupted love, the inevitability of death, uh, the inscrutability of karma. Uh, I mean, you talk about the Moira, the, the, the Greek goddesses spinning our fate um, until the, thre- the thread of our lives is inevitably cut. Um, so why start with this discussion? Like what is, is this about the desire of humans to understand, make sense of, get their brain, wrap their brain around the idea that, of fate? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to, you know, I really wanted to bring out this idea that, you know, this need to figure out life, this need to make sense of life, you know, find meaning, create meaning. It's deeply human. It's intrinsically human. It's not something that happens today. It's not something that happened in ancient times. It's not something that happened only in India. I wanted to bring out the fact that it's very universal and it's very eternal. So it means, I mean, it's 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 what it means to be a human, right? So, I mean, that's how astrology started. So people think astrology is about horoscopes or, you know, predicting the future. But I think that astrology was actually, you know, the humanity's first and the grandest attempt at finding and creating meaning of life, right? And when we talk about meaning of life, uh, we're talking about a lot of different things. We're talking about philosophy, we're talking about psychology, we're talking about, you know, the day-to-day living. So we have these gods and these rituals and these, you know, certain dates and stuff. So, um, I mean, I, I really wanted to bring out that aspect. So that's why I, you know, covered all the cultures that I could. I mean, if I mean, the, the, there was a lot more that I could not put into, into my book because uh, I was aiming the book at, you know, people who do not know anything about astrology. And uh, I was trying to reach out to people who might be both skeptical of it and who might be like, you know, complete believers. So I, I kind of wanted to write this book as, um, you know, for everyone who might want to understand anything about astrology. Yeah, um, which is an interesting, that answer is kind of one of the things I thought, it is such a huge scope. You you cover basically all of human history um, in a not too big book. Um, and this, But I can see this, this idea that you want to demonstrate how universal um, looking at the stars is and trying to make sense of them. Yeah, um, so... I mean, but it's not just, that's the other thing that you talk about early on when you're setting the stage for, and when you're discussing this, it's not just about um, starting, you know, explaining fate or predicting the future. We also use the planets, we use the stars to mark our time, to mark the moments of our lives, right? Um, You write about festivals like Lunar New Year, Rosh Hashanah, about the solstice. How, when do we start doing that? I mean, I think it, so we now think of these things as a festival, right? For Christmas, we consider it a festival, but um, in its origins, it's a winter solstice um, uh, marking, right? So it's the marking of, you know, when we move from winter to summer, like the days are then getting longer. Like So it's basically an actual passage from darkness to light. And that's how the, you know, ancient human beings, you know, who were trying to, who were, you know, aggregating societies and, you know, there were maybe, you know, nomads and, uh, 
I mean, that was just a way of, you know, marking the passage of time. They were like, okay, you know, if this thing has happened, then maybe it's time for better days. And over time, these things evolved as festivals. Like it's, it happened like over a period of like thousands and thousands of years. But these, all of these things that we see now as festivals, they started out as, you know, just marking of a time, like, you know, from summer to fall, then to uh, winter, then to spring. And in between, we have all these festivals, they have their own context. But it's basically about the movements of sun or moon and what impact they have on our daily life. And this we can do at like a societal level, right? That is this basic thing. It is now we're the passage into light. We need to get ready we're, to start planting. We need to get ready in all of these ways. And it, um, you know, and you can see it reflected. I, I was thinking about how people in January, they kick off their health kicks, right? Everyone has a resolution. Gyms are packed in, in America right now. Um, and and it, it, we call it January, but it really is about post-solstice, getting ready for the new year. We're right, kicking right. ourselves into right, the right. light. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, and I mean, some cultures, um, uh, like Indian culture, and I think that some other cultures as well, they begin their year in April, right? I mean, that's technically the new year. But then uh, what happens in April is that it's the beginning of a new agriculture season. So, I mean, you know, for a lot of societies, that was the literal beginning of the new year. So, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of context here, and that's why, like, I wanted to cover different cultures. But there is this thread of, uh, you know, the same thought the same logic behind it. So. Right, this idea. Yeah, um, that was common in the in uh, medieval Europe. A lot of places also started the new year in March was, March, April was the demarcation. Yeah, you know, which makes sense. It's a planting season. That makes, that seems a lot more new yeary than it feels looking outside at my, when it's still dark at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning um, here in Northern Europe. So, um, I mean, the planets help us note passage of time and we can use them in these societal levels, but we also really turn them into people, right? Or our gods that are very human. We really humanize them sort of anyway. Yes. Particularly you write about our observable planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, Saturn. Right, right, right. So, um, so, you know, astrology say things like as above, so below, right? So they connect the microcosm of who we are to the macrocosm of, you know, what they see, which is, which is like these planets, like that's as far as, you know, we can see from the naked eye. So um, I think what ancient humans did is they, you know, found a lot of ways to connect, you know, the individual with the um you know with the macrocosm and vice versa so um all of these planets they were given a personality so they were easy to worship that way they were easy to understand that way so i might not i mean otherwise i might not have any perspective on mercury but when mercury is made into a story or an or an archetype then it becomes easier to understand it so mercury stands for intelligence and communication uh, in a lot of cultures it is seen as the infant the child so you know there are a lot of things that are associated with it and when i understand it i can you know maybe see it in my uh, life so let's say you know mercury rules the signs of gemini and virgo and you know it said that you know people who have prominent gemini and mercury placement they will be a bit childlike but they'll be really intelligent they'll be really communicative so in that way you know you can understand different things so if you were dealing with someone who's ruled by saturn saturn has these qualities of you know hard work 
um, discipline, old age. So if you were dealing with a certain kind of a person, you'll see that, you know, they're more serious, they're more, um, you know, like uh, disciplined or sometimes even harsh kind of a people. So I think these things make it really easy to understand on an individual level because obviously, I mean, it's not like, you know, Saturn actually has a personality. It's the personality mm-hmm. that we have given, uh, we have projected onto it, right? That quality of time, that um, that uh, quality that you might see in a person. So it's for us that we have given them these personalities. Sometimes we worship them. Sometimes, you know, in modern era, we just, uh, we can just you know, read these children and maybe understand them, you know, more psychologically. Right. Yeah, that's so important. Saturn doesn't have a personality. We think we understand them. So it's it's a very human way of looking at our universe and trying to make it make sense to us. But, you know, so we have, and we're talking about Saturn and how it moves and according to the years, and there's the natal chart, which we'll talk about in a second, that begins, you know, with months. But there are tons of ways to look at this. Like the Chinese zodiac, for instance, is completely different. Yeah, what do they do? So it's more of a uh, animal-based zodiac. So it's not like the twelve um, mm-hmm. zodiac, the twelve part zodiac that we know in the Western world and in the Indian world. So the Chinese zodiac, um, I'm not sure how many animals are there, but it's based on the year. So today, so this year is like the year of rabbit. So and you know, a lot of people think that you know it's supposed to function on an individual level but it's supposed to function on a collective level so um like um one of the things that i've mentioned in the book is that the year of metal rat is was seen as you know like a bad year for china so like the pandemic happened in the year of metal rat uh, i think one of the uh the cultural revolution years happened in the metal rat and there was uh in the Great Opium War or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but like they have these significations. So, I mean, rabbit, I think, has the signification of being uh, like uh, intuition or, you know, like something new, something breezy. So, I mean, let's see how this year goes. <laughs> Fingers crossed, right? Um, and, there's de- and there's definitely, you can read a lot about a culture by the way they're going to use the zodiac, the zodiac by astrology. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's something about Chinese culture the, as opposed to Indian culture or uh, the Gen Z American culture. Yeah, right. Uh, okay. So um, let's talk about um, this, the, the natal chart. What is this? So, you know, your natal chart or your birth chart is basically the map of the universe or, you know, like our solar system at the time, place and the day that you were born. Right. So it's like, let's say you were born on 24 January at 10 a.m. in um, New Delhi. So you'll have a particular chart. But if you were born on the same uh, date, uh, and time in, let's say, US, you'll have a different chart. So it's uh, it's basically, you know, a, a, I mean, it's said that, I think uh, Kepler said it, and I think Carl Jung also said it. So whatever point of time that you were born at, it, it says something about who you are and what your life is going to be. 
and the birth chart reflects that so in the, in indian system you have like nine planetary positions which is like sun moon the five planets and the moon nodes which are known as like rahu and ketu in the western system uh, it is i mean in some practice a more medieval form of it but some practice like a more modern form of it so in the medieval era they didn't consider planets like pluto uranus and neptune because they were not yet discovered but then after the discovery of them today the western astrology uses those planets as well so they have all the planets sun moon and the nodes which is i mean they call it north node and south node so um you'll have like these 12 houses you'll have 12 uh, zodiac signs and you know you'll have a planet or two in you know different houses and different signs they will have their you know individual interpretation they will have their aspects and you know that sort of thing i mean it's really technical and i still don't you know get it uh, fully because i'm not an astrologer right so it's like it, but it's really complicated so people think you know that this is just idle superstition this is just you know making up of stories it's all just you know like uh, like no one like people are just making stuff up but there is a lot of um, you know evolution of thought that has gone into this and there is a definite logic to it even if it doesn't make sense to us like scientifically Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if like what there there is a science of of astrology, right? So, what do you do that? How do you become an astrologer? Uh, I don't think there is any like um step like the step by step process to it but i think people just gravitate to it uh like if they're meant to like that's how people you know uh, say things in the in the astro world that you know you don't find astrology astrology finds you so i mean i never meant to write a book about astrology but maybe you know i had some sort of a comic that uh, to astrology to fulfill um but anyway uh, seriously speaking in ancient india there was a you know process of initiation like you started under a uh, like a teacher uh, for like lots of years and then you were supposed to you know do sadhana which is spiritual practice for about 12 to 14 years before you could actually start you know consulting as an astrologer and in india like you you know you are not supposed to charge any money for it you can't you know make your money from it because if you do then that impacts your um, you know quality of work because then you know you're going to be doing it for the money you're going to be saying the good things or you know you're going to be saying what ever the person wants to hear and that will compromise the quality of your predictions or you know your intuition and stuff like that in the western world um uh, like in us particularly there was a college kepler college which was giving a actual degree in astrology like actual uh, bachelor's and master's programs in astrology um but i think they shut it down uh there was some licensing issue so they shut it down so now i think people just study it um you know on their own or maybe they'll uh, get maybe they'll study under someone else and uh, they'll just start charging uh you know for it for the consultation and if like i mean if they get if, you know audience then that's how it works i mean there's no uh you know standard procedure which i think probably helps to contribute to some people's ability to just dismiss this out of hand there's no place you know you don't go to a you don't go to school you don't do this clear apprenticeship or whatever even if you do right and, yeah i mean today there's absolute i i don't think there's a lot of discipline to it there's, there's a lot of like you know 
um, like if you're an academic, you pass through a lot of rigor, right? Mm-hmm. You you study at college, you study at university, and then you do your research, and then you know you publish a lot of research, and then you know uh, slowly you know you get a teaching position, and then you can uh, you know maybe form your own. Uh, hypothesis your own research areas and stuff like that so i don't think astrology has that kind of rigor uh in the modern times which is like you said you know which is why people uh, find it easy to dismiss it uh but that was not the case in ancient uh you know time mm-hmm. nor um yeah and i mean it doesn't the, the, the you can go through all of the school on earth and still be a moron we know that <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a, a little this is a different kind of thing. But I, I want to, you know, what we've already said, there is this isn't just someone like prognosticating, putting their fingers up to their head and just making things up right there. Right. So, a- yeah, so definitely. I mean, uh, it, it, whichever form of astrology you practice, you'll be studying a lot of texts. You will be researching on a lot of birth charts. Like people who do it seriously, people who do it the right way, they do study a lot of texts. So in India, you'll have like texts like Brihad Parashara Hura Shastra uh, in, in Western astrology. Or like if you were practicing Hellenistic astrology, you'll be studying Ptolemy. Um, if I mean, I'm not sure if anyone practices Persian astrology at the moment, but then there are texts for that as well by Abu Mashar. Um, um, so if you were doing it the right way, yes, you would be studying a lot of, you know, text and you would be practicing on a lot of birth charts and, you know, you would be, you know, doing your own research before you can, you know, start giving out consultations and, you know, you can start money, start charging money for it. Yeah. So one of my favorite parts of this book is uh, chapter five. You take this deep dive into Indian astrology, uh, which I, about you know about which I knew nothing, and now I feel like I know a lot. Um, so uh, I'd like you to tell talk briefly about this. Tell us about Indian astrology. So Indian astrology is called Jyotish, which is derived from uh, Vedang Jyotish, which is like one of the five main parts of the Vedas, which are the main Indian text, Hindu texts, right? So like all of the Hindu philosophy thought is encoded in the Vedas. And of that, one part is called Vedang Jyotish, which is the basis of Jyotish. Now, originally, Jyotish, uh, Vedang Jyotish was just a way to figure out the auspiciousness or the inauspiciousness of a particular date or a particular hour in order to conduct the ritual sacrifice, which is the central practice in Hinduism, right? So, you know, when you want to, again, when you, like ritual sacrifices were done by kings or, you know, priests um, for lots of different purposes, but they were also done by individuals for like, you know, when should I move into a new home? When should I get married? When should I uh, start a particular venture? Um, So, it was basically done for that reason, and there was absolutely no uh, like prognostication part attached to it. Um, over time, however, it developed uh, as this personal horoscopy uh, thing. And so the underlying basis of Jyotish is the theory of karma. So like we are here because we are here to you know live out our good and bad karmas. And the idea is that the astrologer should help you figure out what your karma is, you know, good and bad, and help you live it out in the best possible way. Right. So, 
and so that you don't create new karma and you you know you can just live out your karma uh, you know the good and bad and eventually get moksha which is the ultimate liberation which is the you know basically the end point of all human thought that you know we are here to live out kar- uh, a certain karma and once we are done we get you know moksha which is the ultimate liberation so um, like that is how indian astrology is structured so in that context you know it, it it's pretty much um weird that indians use astrology as a way to you know maximize their material benefit because that is not the point of it at all i mean that's what we've made it into but that's not the point of it at all the point is so the point is to you know live out your both good and bad karma so you know you 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 are going to have certain disappointments in life you're going to have certain unpleasantness in life and in india you see this thing a lot that you know people try to use these remedies and people try to uh, you know take advantage of um, you know lots of people who don't know anything about astrology they charge huge sums they you know try to sell uh, you know like these gemstones for really uh, you know costly prices and stuff like that um, because people want to avoid you know the unpleasant side of their karma which is not possible at all if you believe in fate you have to believe it in it for better and worse you can't just you know believe it in uh, for better mm-hmm. so um, i mean that's the that's the context uh, for india uh, when it comes to astrology and it has a very long and very interesting history right it says yeah that's fascinating um so a couple uh questions just kind of about the writing of the book what was your favorite thing to do what did you really what did you learn about so i really liked uh, the uh so i have a whole chapter about uh astrology in our life which is like arts literature and music so that was mm-hmm. really interesting to me that you know astrology has seeped into our you know music and paintings and you know literature so shakespeare made about uh, 200 references to astrology which means that he knew a lot about it as well mm-hmm. um and uh, there were lots of music composition painting so to me that like the visual aspect of it is uh, you know very interesting because i mean i enjoy visual arts so i i find that very fascinating and i think the other thing that i really found interesting was you know carl jung's uh, psychological astrology so to me and even if you look at in your astrology it's the moon sign that is the main uh, placement because moon is related to our emotions and our emotions are all about our psychology right so the idea that you know my mind drives my life that to me was really fascinating because otherwise you know if you if you're not conscious of it then you can live your life in a very like unconscious way you know you you keep making the same mistake or you keep uh, you know you you may stuck in a particular complex you you know keep living out a certain way you know if you're not aware that you know you can live out your life more consciously more intentionally you know you can deal with your anxiety your insecurities like that is possible like you know it's not completely impossible it's not so but for it to be possible you'll have to be aware of how your mind works in the first place and astrology gives you a way to understand that right it gives you a context again i'm not saying you know it's not like saturn has a personality so it's not like 
if so I have my modern biases, so it doesn't mean that I will have all the significations attached to it, but maybe I'll have some of the significations attached to it, and maybe it will resonate with me on some level. And if it does, if I feel like, okay, you know, maybe I need to change this, maybe I need to do this better, maybe I need to do this less, I can do that. But I can only do it if I have a frame of reference. So I can, if I can read about, okay, what does it mean to you know, have a modern biases? Only then I can, you know, begin to think. Because otherwise, it's very difficult. If you're looking in blind, if you do not have a frame of reference, you know, that's why we started projecting our psyche onto these planets, onto these, you know, sun and moon. Because when you project, you're able to understand. When you, you know, you have a certain frame of reference, and then you can select, you know, the good and bad, whatever you like, and move accordingly. I mean, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, that made perfect sense. And I think it leads into what I want to be kind of my, my penultimate question, um, which is, you know, you, you demonstrate here that this is everywhere, all over the planet, all from the, to the very beginning of time through now, when we have all of these other ways of talking about our world, we still use the planets to try to tell us a story and make sense. And kind of why? Why do we need this? Because I think it just resonates with people. So one of the things, you know, I interviewed uh, Chris Brennan, who's an astrologer, and he has this like very popular astrology podcast. And it was, you know, in one of his videos, he said that, you know, people who do not believe in astrology should just look at their birth chart. And if nothing in it resonates, then, you know, like... uh, like I'll, I'll agree to their argument and I think that was a really interesting way to put it because for most people when they actually do look at their birth chart when they actually do explore a bit they do find that it resonates so it is because it resonates that you know it just survives and the reason it resonates is because it is formed on you know you know like hard logical basis it's not just idle superstition again you know like what i said before so there is a certain logic to it uh and you know there is a certain process that it went through in you know developing these archetypes developing these uh you know personalities and these significations and when we look at it with an open mind with a you know in in good faith we will see that it resonates with us in some way or form and i mean i think um, I mean, if it doesn't resonate with a particular person, that's fine. But the fact that it exists means that it resonates with at least some people. So as long as that happens, I think astrology will continue to live on. It has been since like thousands and thousands of years. So. Yeah. And through many changes in technology, we have many systems to explain our worlds that through the course of human history and this one we've kept. Um, right. This is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. All right. I have taken up quite a bit of your time. I'm grateful that you met with me, but I, um, so I have just one more question, which is, um, what are you working on? What's, are you going to write another book? I mean, I do have an idea. So I've been researching yeah. about it. So again, I mean, I think it's a, a natural, um, you know, step forward from this book. So, I mean, Having written this book, I've realized, you know, how much, um, you know, we're missing. So the modern civilization is all about the rational, the logical, the secular. And we're missing out on a lot of what it means to be human, you know, what it means to live an actual human life and live it in a way that's holistic, that's healthy, that's, um, you know, 
uh, encompasses the entire gamut of human experience. So, um, uh, you know, I've realized that the modern civilization is uh, missing out on the natural way of life, which is not to say, you know, that you should go to a farm and, you know, start organic farming. It just means that, you know, to be more in touch with the irrational side of life, uh, the um, what we pre- uh, call the irrational side of life, but is really the spiritual side of life. So, I mean, my, my basic idea is that, you know, post-Enlightenment in 17th, 18th century Europe, uh, life became all about the ego, um, you know, the ego expansiveness, the ego uh, individuation. So, I mean, my idea is that there is a lot more to it and a lot of problems that we are facing today, you know, climate change, mental health crisis, you know, a lot of body disorders and stuff like that is a result of, you know, being too focused on a per individual self, you know, being too, like, I mean, my argument is that, you know, the modern civilization is a very narcissistic civilization and like there's a lot more to life. And in order to live a more sustainable, healthy life, we need to sort of, you know, like basically get over ourselves and live, mm-hmm. um, you know, a more collective and more sustainable form of life. I mean, there's a lot of history, again, involved in it, a lot of uh, philosophy involved in it. So I, I don't have it pared down yet, but that's the basic idea that I'm starting from. Oh, that sounds great. I'm going to I'm gonna enjoy reading that book. We're, we're going to talk about that one, too. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Gautama, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been lovely. Thank you so much, Shana. It was great talking to you as well. All right, take care.